This podcast is brought to you by Bach Audio, makers of vintage-inspired microphones optimized for the demands of today's music. Backed by 30 years of experience, Bach Audio mics are custom-made in the USA by David Bach. Bach Audio. Vintage made modern. Learn more at BachAudio.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. Too often, people assume that those of us in the field of music recording had a distinct idea of what we wanted to do when we started. The truth is almost always that it's a wild and unpredictable path we end up on. Vance Powell is a perfect example of this. Starting off in live sound, he also had a parallel path in small recording studios along the way. When an opportunity came up to help build what would become one of the largest studio complexes in the world, he was there becoming chief engineer for Nashville's Blackbird Studios. Projects outside of Blackbird soon beckoned, and Vance started working extensively with Jack White with his groups The Tours, The White Stripes, The Dead Weather, as well as many of Jack's other production jobs, including Wanda Jackson's The Party Ain't Over and a slew of seven-inch singles for Jack's Third Man Records. His work has earned him three Grammy Awards for Jars of Clay, Buddy Guy, and The Tours. Along the way, he's recorded with a wide variety of artists, including Keb Moe, Martina McBride, The Secret Machines, and Karen Elson. I ran around Nashville on a crazy tour with Vance for 11 hours one day, and near the end, we sat down to chat at Sputnik Sound, a fun studio space he shares with producer Mitch Dane. This audio recording was not originally tracked with the intent of using for a podcast. It was recorded solely for transcription for our print interview. Please forgive any balance issues, background sounds, or lack of clarity. Enjoy. So uh, let's start this out. Let's get a little bit of history. You mentioned uh, Missouri and stuff too, and the live stuff. How? Where the hell did you start? When well, did you first I, start I, doing I, audio? I, and I graduated. I was one of those kids that kind of went to a college sort of thing in high school that, like, really nerdy deal um it was a tech school yeah so i did go to school with like all the kids who were taking welding you know yeah. so it was sort of a nerdy redneck thing which was pretty okay but uh, i took electronics yeah. and so uh uh three hours a day uh every day i took electronics for you know two years yeah. and uh that's probably good my my grandfather uh i my two grandfathers one was a uh, engineer in the truest sense, like engineer, engineer. Mm-hmm. And the other one was a brick mason who spent his whole life inventing things. Really? Uh, he he invented all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, he invented this thing that detected tornadoes. Now, really, all it did was it detected the uh, RF field created yeah. by a tornado. But he figured out uh, by, because we lived in Missouri where there were tornadoes, yeah. by actually tuning it during a tornado, right. he could figure out how far away it was or how close it was. Wow. He, he built all kinds of really crazy stuff. So I sort of had that in me yeah. uh, to begin with. Um, you grew up in Missouri? I grew up in Missouri, Joplin, Missouri, mm-hmm. a little tiny town, 40,000 people in the corner of uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and Arkansas, the four state area. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was cool. It was a good time. It was, you know, I graduated in 1982. And right when I came out of high school, uh, I decided I didn't want to go into electrical engineering. At that point, I wanted to be a computer programmer. I decided, oh, I want to be a computer programmer. Yeah. But in all this time, I was also the kid who had the coolest, a cool stereo. <laughs> so, you know, I had this cool stereo and a cool turntable, and I'd, I, I, I had a shitty car. And cool speakers. I think when I graduated high school, I had a uh, Fiat with an Alpine cassette deck in it, and somehow I shoehorned some Jensen six by nines into the back, and it sounded really great. Yeah. So I had a great stereo at home, I had a good stereo in my car, even though my car was a piece of shit. Fiat, yeah. <laughs> um, green Fiat that I drove for seven months without a starter. I would just, I would just, I would just push it. It would, yeah. it would. It would jump start at one mile an hour. 
park on a hill. I, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, I actually changed the rear tire on it once just by lifting the back of the car up. <laughs> you know, it was so little piece of shit tin box. So it but, sounds um, like you were a music fan. Then I was sure. a music fan. I was a yeah. huge music fan. Yeah. I I was huge, hugely influenced by all the same things that every kid in 1982 was was influenced yeah. by. You know, uh, Pink Floyd, the Beatles, yeah. the you know the Stones, all those things. But my first concert I ever saw, which yeah. was in '78, um, was the Talking Heads. Nice. And that sort of propelled me into that sort of like looking like kind of skinny tie, you know, uh, you know, turning Japanese and all that shit. The thing was, I I wasn't living new wave. I wasn't living in a town that was cool enough to actually (laughs) really have a pulse on that. All I had was what was on, not on the radio, but what was just sort of popular of that type stuff. You'd hear about Blondie. I hear about Blondie. Oh yeah, the it was a huge Blondie. The cars, love yeah, the cars, yeah. police, yeah. all that. I mean, yeah. I, I, there were so SDC. many things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there were so many things I didn't know anything oh, yeah. about because yeah. we lived in a town of 40,000 people. But um, when I when I got to college, a friend of mine uh, who worked at an, at an auto upholstery shop, a couple of the guys in the auto upholstery shop had a little band. So he, he played guitar. So um, he had been my brother's best friend, but then my brother had gotten married because his girlfriend got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're still married to this day, which awesome. is funny. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, he, he didn't have any friends anymore. So I was the next best thing. So I, I started hanging out. We started hanging out. He was cool. Yeah. And he was old enough to buy beer, which made things really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we, uh, so we would go and, you know, like drink and go down and go to this little jam session. Yeah. And the guys who were in the jam session, actually their son knew some guys who were quite a bit younger. Not quite a bit, but you know, we were 20 and they were 17. Yeah. And um, they were pretty good. They were, and they were, we were like trying to play. They were trying to do all that new age stuff. Right. And somehow these kids were from a small town. They, they, they were kind of clued in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we started playing. I started mixing their band live. Yeah. And I remember playing a gig. And after the gig, you know, they're, they're literally being girls hanging out. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm in college. <laughs> and I'm sitting around a cold-ass terminal waiting for my stupid bullshit, you know, assembly language programming to come out. <laughs> and I could be out here where there's like actual girls that want to talk to me. Yeah. Because I'm actually sort of with the band. Yeah. Absolutely. So about that same time uh, that I quit, I kind of quit college. Um, there was a really cool kind of rock scene happening um, coming out of Lawrence in Kansas City. Yeah. There's a bunch of really cool bands, uh, The Clocks, Fool's Face, uh, this band called The Dogs. Uh, and all these bands would come down to our little neck of the woods, a little tiny town in Kansas called Galena, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And there was a bar there called Sergeant Peppers. It was a big venue and they had <laughs> they had live bands. Yeah. And I just went and I just fell in love with the, the whole thing of making music and because I loved what when I went and saw these bands, I loved the way it felt. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved watching the band and feeling the kick drum in my gut and and watching the way the audience reacted and, and hearing it and just just everything about it. Yeah. So I um, I quit school and uh, started working with this band. And, um, you know, I was still living at home. I had a scholarship to school, which was... You know, one of those things. And I decided I wanted to take a little time off. And I kind of remember my mom said the greatest (laughs) thing. She said, she goes, well, I I think that's great. You know, you've got to follow your own path. Um, Where are you going to be living? Yeah. And and I said, well, oh, actually, what she said was, how long, when did you make up this decision? And I go, well, it was about a week ago. She goes, well, where are you going to be living? (laughs) I go, well, I was thinking at the house. She goes, oh, no, you've got about a week. (laughs) <laughs> and then that was my thrust into life, you know. I got a month. 
Yeah, I, you got a month? Well, yeah. The, the funny thing was, <laughs> I, I later, I mean, I went on the road and traveled, yeah. and I didn't really have a home. Yeah. And she let me kind of come back and, you know, live there on and off. <laughs> but so um, the long short of it is I kind of quit school, uh, quit computer nerdery to become an audio nerder. Yeah. You know, and, and started mixing bands and just doing live sound. And right about that same time, um, I took a gig. Well, not around that time, but maybe about a year later. Yeah. Because I worked at Radio Shack. Yeah. By the way, I worked at Radio Shack. And um, one of the guys who worked at Radio Shack had a little studio. Uh, where he had an 80-8 and a Tascam 3, which we actually, I think, have around wow. here somewhere. And um, he uh, had that. And we would go out and we would do some recordings at his place. And... and um, about that same around somewhere in there I actually took a gig at a music store in Oklahoma it was actually a pretty hip little music store yeah. uh, in a little tiny lake town yeah. and uh, this guy had made a little business of selling guitars kind of cheap and bringing people for in from out of town like people would come from Tulsa Oklahoma City up to his store and then they'd end up buying something else they'd buy, buy a Strat for a few dollars over cost yeah. then they'd buy an amp you know so right. and it was kind of a cool store and while I was working there, um, I got offered my first road gig, which is kind of funny because the um, the drummer in that band is uh, the drummer for Tool, Danny right, Carey. Right. He was the drummer in this cover band. Oh my God! Yeah, and so I always wanted to kind of say, "Hey, Danny, remember? Where, I remember when you were doing Oh Sheila, <laughs> and everybody wants to rule the world, and." Uh, Oh, man. And uh, 1999 and all these yeah. cover songs, but I haven't seen it. But it's good practice. Yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> but uh, I went out. I went out with this band, and then that turned into a band. That that band broke up, and right about that time, uh, there was a little local band um, from a little town called Pittsburgh, Kansas, because all these towns are pretty close to each other. Yeah, um, Pittsburgh's a college town, and there was this band that had played a gig that had actually gotten like newspaper worthy response. Yeah, yeah. They never played a gig anywhere and they played this gig and uh, sort of a bunch of people kind of freaked out on them and they wrote this article and uh, IRS Records was actually, they'd sent a demo to IRS and IRS was interested in them and, and so right. I went up and met them and talked to them and they were really, really, really talented. They're really good. And, uh, but the drummer was very nice. He just wasn't very good. Yeah. He was very nice. I had a friend who was an amazing drummer. I hooked the two of them up and, uh, we ended up like, uh, playing a lot. And the name of the band was, and this is kind of a weird, it's a Southern thing. It's called A Picture Made. And, uh, no one could ever get the name right. But <laughs> we started, we started doing a lot of shows and we started yeah. opening. I'm mixing the band. And kind of being the adult in charge yeah. of the band, yeah. And we did, I mean, we did shows with Sonic Youth, Soul Asylum, Kendrick Van Beethoven, yeah. uh, Cracker, Guacanao Diary. Um, we did the show with the Replacements. Yeah. Well, actually, actually, two things happened. We did a show in New York. We played a CBGB show with. Uh, we were on tour with this band, the Connells, and yeah. uh, we played a show at CBGBs. And we went on after this band called Scruffy the Cat. Remember them? Yeah. And we went on basically as everybody was leaving. Yeah. And everyone left, but I think his name is, and this is what put this in, but I think his name is Frank Wells. Yeah. And now he's he's a big time agent now. But yeah. he had this little uh, agency that had Cameron and Beethoven and, and Science Adam and Who's Could Do. He's a booking agent. Yeah, yeah. 10,000 Maniacs. He had all yeah. these cool acts at the time. And he yeah. stood up front with about a. About 10 or 15 other people yeah. and watched the band and afterwards said, I don't know who the fuck you guys are. I don't know what you're doing, but I, you're signed. <laughs> and the first thing he did was put us out on the road with the replacements. Right. Which lasted one gig. <laughs> it actually lasted two, but it only really lasted one real gig. Yeah. Um, we played a gig in Winston-Salem, not Winston-Salem, in Raleigh, and uh, we had just recorded our, our first EP with Mitch Easter. And... Um, then we played a show Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and in the show, the singer for the band basically incited a riot, and people climbed up on the stage and was diving off, and uh, craziness ensued, and the replacements loved it, but immediately said, there's no fucking way we're going on after you guys ever. <laughs> so they paid us for the rest of the tour. 
<laughs> to not do it. Because <laughs> Westerberg or one of those guys basically said, "Look, yeah, we not we might we're good, but we're not always good." Yeah. So we don't want to. We don't want that pressure. And my band opened up for them <laughs> back then, '85 or great? something. They they were all kind of they were sick. No, it wasn't I, one of their better shows. I, I, I saw those. Yeah, I saw one where it was like holds. like yeah, you know. And then I saw one that was just they were all fucking on. Yeah, on. Yeah, and that it. was on that tour. That was on Please to Meet Me. So that was on the yeah. Jim Dickinson record. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Bob was already gone. Yeah, he was gone. Gone. I remember talking to Bob back then. Yeah. He, he playing a diaper? Not that night, yeah. <laughs> but uh Yeah. So while yeah. that was all going on, we I mean obviously we recorded with Mitch. Yeah. I was out with that band and um I had been doing yeah, I'd been doing recording uh in in Soul Studio in Joplin. And there was another studio in Joplin that was bigger. And it was owned by the guy who owned the music store in town. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually a. It had two MX70 16 oh, yeah. tracks. Yeah. And a Syncon B 40 channel Allen Heath desk. Right. Uh, had an MTR 12, you know, quarter inch machine. Yeah. And it was actually sort of a real, you know, kind of a real studio. Yeah. Um, in its time, a lot of carpet. Yeah. Yeah. And it had a dr- carpeted drum booth. And when I went in there, the. Mm. the the owner Rick, who I I love him now. I mean, I love him then, but I love him now. But he had taped um, maxi pads to all the toms. Yeah. To get that nice, <laughs> you know, gated drum thing. Oh man. Uh, which I immediately took off. Yeah. And but uh, I I went in there to do a this friend this friend of mine they had a band and they wanted me to record it because the guy who normally did it was sick. <laughs> <laughs> so I went in that's exactly right I went yeah. in there and Rick kind of showed me around the console it was in line but I kind of got it it was cool and I had to get his help a couple times but basically yeah. got through the day and he came in about 6 o'clock and we played in the song we did and he goes well uh, you guys are still working here's the keys come by tomorrow Drop them off. <laughs> come by tomorrow and we need to talk I said okay cool I go, yeah, I'll, I'll bring the keys by, drop them off for you. He goes, oh, no, no, no. Those are yours. <laughs> You're the new engineer here. You know more than any of us. And I was like, I don't know anything. And he said, no, you do. He goes, you may not technically know anything, but I'll teach you all that. <laughs> uh, so that was sort of my first. That's awesome. And uh, so I went in the next day. Um, he, uh, he offered me $5 an hour for engineering. And uh, I could do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. So wow. if I had a band that I wanted to do, uh, he would let me do it. The funny thing was, is that was probably on a Saturday or Friday. And he told me, he said, so there's a session on Saturday I'll need you for. I'm like, okay, what <laughs> is it? He goes, oh, well, I'll tell you more about it. Come to find out it was this Southern gospel thing. Little did I realize how much I was going to learn about people singing together. Yeah. Because I did about 10 Southern Gospel records in oh, a row. Yeah. You know, guy playing piano and four four men, usually guys, yeah. singing harmony, like tight harmony together. Mm-hmm. As white as it could ever possibly be. You know, yeah. boom, bump, 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 yeah. bump, you know, and singing about, you know, gold streets. And, yeah. and uh, I think the first record, like the first actual entire record I ever did, uh, was uh, the Crusaders for Christ, and I think the record was called "Kicking Up Gold Dust." And I am sure that in the attic of my house, in a box, I actually have that cassette tape. Oh my God, you're right. You know, but um, the funny thing was, we we recorded all this, and I mean, I you know, again, I mean, it wasn't cool, but we recorded it all, and then when we mixed it, I mean, I, I recorded it one day and then mixed it that night, and they were all going to dinner. While I was mixing, and uh, and while I was, we finished. Oh no, we finished mixing, and then and then they were like, "Well, we were going to run out to dinner. Uh, do you want us to bring you something?" I was like, "Yeah, let me get this or this." It was a Chinese restaurant across the street, and they said, "Great. Well, here's the order we wanted in." And I remember looking at that sheet of paper and thinking, "Well, you you don't want it in this order, that's well, like the on the tape, the way it is now." And Right, sitting funny. there. That's funny. This is probably nineteen. This is nineteen eighty six. Yeah, I remember just sitting there looking at it, going, "Okay, well, uh, let's learn how to edit tape." 
I guess so. <laughs> and uh, and sure enough, by the time they came back an hour oh or so God. later, I had cut all of the part and taken yeah. it and figured it out. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and then okay. I decided that it would be a good idea to go ahead and cut the masters apart and leader them. Right. And then the next day when I came in, my boss said, yeah, we really don't do that because this is a rental tape. Oh. I was like, oh, oh I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I thought I was doing a good job here. Right. <laughs> like, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> Tape's cheap. Right. It was then. It was then, yeah. But So that was, that was sort of my start. But right about that same time yeah. uh, in 90... I got laid off. At the studio? Well, the studio, I was working for the studio, but then when a picture made broke up in 88, I went to work for the owner of the studio repairing guitar amps because mm -hmm. I went to electronic school. So I repaired right. guitar amps and we installed like PA systems and churches and schools yeah. and phone systems. And that yeah. was sort of my daytime gig. Yeah. And then I worked at the studio at night or yeah. on the weekends. And um, my daytime gig, which I think I made minimum wage at the time, uh, in the winter of 90, I got laid off. Yeah. And I got, I went and did a show up in Springfield with a band. I mixed a show in Springfield. And uh, the owner of this club, which will remain nameless, he, uh, uh, he offered me a gig running the club, which was a very cool place to see bands yeah. in Springfield. And um, I jumped on it because I just wanted to move. I wanted to get out of Joplin and get out of, you know, and try to get a gig in Springfield with yeah. Lou Whitney. Right. And uh, never met, I had never at this point ever met him. <laughs> I had just happened to have seen a, a Morell show uh, like years and years and years and years and years before on accident. Yeah. Um, we happened to be, I was, I went up with a band up to Lawrence and they played the coyote or something. And we went over and I saw the last 20 minutes of the Morell show. And I was just like, so blown away. So I kind of knew who he was and, uh, but I really wanted to meet him and I wanted to yeah. get a gig at his studio, which was called column one in those days. And, um, so I went to Springfield. I worked for this club owner guy whose main gig in life really was, uh, selling cocaine. That was his gig. There were a lot of clubs like that. A lot of clubs like that. Not yeah. not club big clubs stay up in yeah. a lot. Have yeah. a lot of nights when no one would come in and money was everywhere. Yeah, people would come in, but they wouldn't go to the bar. They would all go upstairs yeah. <laughs> and come back downstairs. So uh, I remember places like that. And then you know, so I worked for him for about eleven months, and I finally got tired of it. And yeah, I was blowing my head off. And in that time, I had met Lou, and uh, I went to work for Lou at his place. Started doing some work at Column One, which was really cool little studio, and a very seventies. What kind of jobs was he doing around then? Well, he was doing. He had just done the Roscoe's Gang record, mm -hmm. and uh, he was doing. Uh, he did Roscoe's Gang. We did a record with Scott Kempner from the Del Lords, mm -hmm. also from the Del Lords. Yeah, I worked on that with him, and then he had a band called the Skeletons, and we were doing a lot of shows with the Skeletons. Yeah, and then we went out and we did a tour with Dave Alvin. And skeletons. Oh, nice. But I was sort of doing all the local bands. Mm -hmm. And there was a <laughs> bunch of local bands. Um, and every now and then, it's funny, man, I get, I get every now and then someone will email me so I'll see my name on some record. <laughs> there was a band from Columbia called Spankin' Rufus. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you ever out in the West Coast had it, but in the Midwest, we had a little... Uh, Ska scare. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a band in Spring in, in St. Louis called The Urge. Mm -hmm. They were huge. Yeah, and they played a lot. They they were you know horn band, sort of a horn ska band. Yeah, and they played a lot in Columbia. And so there was all these like bands with horns. There was and, a, there was a, there was an earlier scare which was kind of like eighties like post twin tone UK mm -hmm. thing. That would hit the Bay Area and stuff, especially. And then I remember. Well, by by ninety one, it had made its way to Springfield yeah. in St. <laughs> Louis. Because then there's the later there's the yeah. punk scoff and it's mm -hmm. sort of thing that happens like you know like ninety six. Yeah. Know, well, it's like, funny because the yeah. Urge they were yeah. basically doing yeah. what No Doubt made right. famous. Right. Exactly. I yeah. mean, they were basically doing that back in the day. They just they just fell into the hole of Middle America. That's you know. Funny. <laughs> but this band Spanking Rufus, uh, I actually got an email the other day from a guy who's like. Like, I saw your name on this. I love that Spankin' Rufus record. Like, do you have any copies of it? I was like, Dude. like the last thing in the world. I, you know, <laughs> although the record was very funny. Mm -hmm. I had, there was a guy there in Springfield who uh, worked for Chris Christopherson, of all mm -hmm. people. 
and he was on the road with Christopherson and he had a he had a Monda rig and they called me he called me and he's like hey Tammy Wynette wants to rent my monitors for yeah. Monday or whatever in Branson yeah can you take them down there yeah okay so I go get his keys and load it all up and drive it down there set it all up well they they turn up late they had they had some long overnight drive so I'd kind of turned it all up got it all working rang out all the wedges they came in man just threw everything up and did this show and the monitor guy said look hey man why don't you stay because I want to get you paid for these yeah, yeah. and maybe we'll go have some lunch do you, do you mind just hanging out so, so I hung out I watched the show little did I realize I'd be watching it again about 3,000 more times <laughs> but um, I watched it and you know it was cool in a, in a classic country way you know and Tammy yeah. sang her ass yeah, off some great songs huh? yep she sang her ass off yeah and um, afterwards we went we, we, we talked and it was cool and I had a I had a Clark Technic EQ I was wanting to sell. And he was like, he had a little sound company. He's like, yeah, I'd like to buy it. Let me get your number. I gave him his number. I said, yeah, just call me if you want it. So that was that. So um, a couple more of those Tammy gigs came up, but nothing really big. Yeah. And um, I continued working for Lou, again, just making making records that no one's ever heard of. That was like a good learning curve. It was I great. Mean, it was great. You're, you're working on stuff. You know where the bands aren't paying like a ridiculous amount nope. of money to be there either, so it's it like, was the best schooling yeah, ever. Yeah, because when I worked with Lou, I got to watch the way Lou dealt with the band. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the biggest lesson. Yeah, like like and and Lou made me do all the studio maintenance. Not he didn't make me do it, but he was just <laughs> like, oh well, you know how to do this. So I mean, you know, so I lined the tape machines and yeah. you know and and uh, <laughs> he taught me some tricks. But really, what he did, and I think this is like what is missing sort of today yeah. with schools is that uh, he allowed me to make mistakes. Yeah. He allowed me to, you know, fuck up punches and he allowed me to do all that shit. Yeah. And then when I did something really cool, he'd sit in the studio and hang out and listen. Yeah. yeah. And not just, you know, not listen the way I play things for people. Like yeah. he would sit and listen. Yeah, yeah. And then afterwards he'd say, man, that sounds really good. Or man, I think that's great. Yeah. I think the bass is too loud in this song or whatever. It was yeah. very creative, very, yeah. very, very nice, you know, even tempered criticism, which was great because it didn't make me, you know, it made me feel like, great, I want to fix that now. Yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Instead of, fuck you, I know better. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. But I was there till 90. Like I said, about 91, I got this phone call from this guy who worked for Tammy. He wanted to know if I wanted to move to Nashville and, and uh, take a gig. Um, with Tammy Wynette. Yeah. It was funny because I remember being like, well, no. And then I just thought, hold it. This is, you're talking about Nashville. Yeah. This is a recording capital, you know, kind of one of the recording capital of the world now. Yeah. Sort of the recording capital of the United States. And even though it's country and all that, you know, Jason Scorchers came from there. You know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I was just thinking like, you know, <laughs> there, are there some is rocks. some, there is hope here, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. um, and so I remember asking, well, what does it pay? 200 bucks a day. I was like, 200 bucks a day? Fuck, I'm on, I'm on my way now. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I came over here and I went out wow. and I tried out with her. And it was hard, man. It was a tough gig. But yeah. but I liked her and I liked I liked yeah. him. And um, I had started, so I started commuting yeah. 440 yeah. miles to work. Right. <laughs> I would drive over. We'd go out for three or four days and stay at a motel. Oh, man. And then, you know, if we were, if we were staying for a couple of days, I'd just stay in this motel that, um, uh, one side of the motel was for people from the interstate, and the back side was like the Nashville version of Amsterdam. It was like <laughs> hookers and drug dealers, and literally like girls. They would just yeah. they would just hang out. I got to kind of know, not like know them, but I mean, kind of yeah. like hey, you know. Um, but it, it, Nashville was a lot seedier in those days. Yeah, downtown yeah. was yeah. was pretty. It's not like it is now. Yeah, yeah. I started doing the Tammy thing. Yeah. And that was cool. And about, about seven months into it, and I was doing monitors, which I'm not very good at, but about <laughs> seven months in, uh, the front of house guy quit, and they hired me to do uh, production manager front of house. Yeah. Because I was always a mixer guy, always. Yeah. And um, I did that for about four more years. Yeah. And the, the big thing, like, working for Tammy was great when it started because she worked a fair number of dates a year. Yeah. But as her health got worse, she worked less. And yeah. we had a lot of dates that would get canceled. And, uh, yeah. you know, you wouldn't get paid to do them. And yeah. 
Um, what this is all leading up to is while that's going on, my roommate took a job with Martina McBride. And um, this would have been uh, 97. Yeah. And by 97, Tammy was... I really hadn't done any studio thing. I hadn't done anything in the studio since 96. It'd been about a year. Yeah. And uh, everywhere I tried to get a gig here, they wanted to hire me as an intern. And, you know, I was 29 years old and had basically ran a studio for four years. Yeah. And had been the, the other engineer in a studio for, you know, three years. Yeah. Two or three years. On and off. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not really going to be an intern. And I'm, you know, and I'm 29 years old and I just, you know, I, the, the reality was that I probably should have done it. Yeah. Because there was a lot of things to learn here. <laughs> uh, but it's a different world. It's a different world. Yeah. Uh, I should have done it, but I didn't. So uh, my, my roommate sent McBride to me. McBride yeah. called me. We talked. Yeah. And he said, look, this is not a front of house gig. Um, he goes, but I need someone to do front of house because I'm going to South Africa or South America with Garth Brooks. She was Garth Brooks production manager. Yeah. I'm going with Garth for a month. So I need somebody who can mix. But for the first half of the month, I need you to do, uh, I need you to be a set car set carpenter, stage manager. And then for the back half of this tour, I need you to do both. Oh, man. And I was like, okay, well, you know, what's it pay? told me it was less than what I was making, but it was a lot more work. I said, okay, I'll do it. So yeah. I went out and did it. Him and I hit it off. And that sort of started the whole thing. Yeah. By the end of that tour, uh, Martina had actually gotten pregnant, was taking a maternity leave. I went out and I did um, I did a tour with Nancy Griffith, mm -hmm. which, which was really cool. Yeah. While I was touring with her, we did a show here in Nashville with... Um, the Nashville Symphony and the right. Nashville Ballet. Yeah. So it was like Nancy played on stage, the symphony was in the pit, <laughs> and the ballet was happening on the stage. That's insane. That's really cool. Yeah. And um, I recorded that for her. I totally snuck it in on my Pro Tools 3 system on my MacBook. Yeah, <laughs> um, on my, That's my MacBook, which or not MacBook, on my PowerBook, whatever it was yeah, called at the time, yeah. thirty six hundred or something, yeah. and um, and I gave her a disc of it, yeah, and she gave that disc to Peter Asher, mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because she told him this is what I really wanted my record to sound, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I told him that on the phone. Good thing to tell you. You're yeah, I was like, oh, person. great, thanks. <laughs> but um, uh, but while I was doing that, uh, I did a show. I ran into these guys, uh, the, the band Jars of Clay. Right. I just ran into them in a rehearsal hall. Yeah. We ended up like liking a lot of the same music, and they were doing a show the same night I was doing a show. So I went and saw their sound check and rehearsal, and uh, it was really cool. Yeah. And so I found out because at the time I was working for Claire Brothers yeah. Audio, I went and talked to them about doing monitors for them. And they're like, well, we already got somebody to do monitors, but we need a front of house guy. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> I went out and did that tour and they, and we, we hit it off. Martina wanted me to go out uh, and do monitors for her. I had a hard time turning her down. I didn't. I went in and did <laughs> yeah. it. But about three months into it, I was like, this isn't working for me. Yeah. So I uh, took, I got my gig with Jars back. Yeah. Worked for them for about four years. And while in that four years, we started doing a lot of recording. Yeah. out on the road sometimes it'd just be through the desk yeah you know right and they started using board mixes for fan club records yeah just right out of cool. the desk you know for fan club yeah. records that's great and um so in 2000 late 2000 they asked me to do a record with them a christmas record it's pretty hilarious awesome and we started that record on New Year's, which didn't make any sense. Why would we do a Christmas record on New Year's? But they had a schedule to do their new record starting in March. Right. And so they had this little window between January and March. They wanted to just do this Christmas record and then put it out like Christmas time. Yeah, yeah. You know? So we started doing some demos. And after about the first week, it was obvious that uh, nobody had Christmas on their mind. And um, after about the second or third week, kind of hard to yeah. be thinking about it. After about the second or third week, it was like, you know what? We need to like make just let's just record demos for our record. So <laughs> we started doing demos for the record, and then the producer who was supposed to do the record 
bowed out. So they were sort of like, you know, maybe this is a time we should just, maybe we should do a record ourselves. So we started working and uh, finished on uh, the uh, September 9th, 2001, or September 10th, 2001. Yeah. yeah. So nine months later, 10 months later. Yeah. And uh, day before September 11th, all that. That's weird. And uh, we finished this little studio where I showed you earlier, playground, right. record playground. And yeah. We went home, and then the next morning we were getting up to go get, you know, all the studio stuff out and all everything happened. And, and when all that happened, you know, all that was going on, I was making this record. I was having conversations with John because John was wanting to build a studio at his house. Right. And while all that's going on, we're, you know, I'm going over, I'm playing rough mixes at John's house and we're, you know, all this stuff's going on. After September 11th, there was yeah. all this work fell out everywhere. Oh, yeah. And um, especially the touring, if people were scared to go to shows. Mm -hmm. and So right about that time is when John was starting to buy gear and look at building a studio and uh, come there in 2000 yeah. or in 2001, 2002, January 2002, he bought what became Blackbird. Right. And uh, about three months later, about the 30th of March, called me uh, up. I just got enough to her. Uh, so he called me and basically was saying, hey, look, you know, it's not going as fast as I want. Right. Nobody's in charge. And uh, I'll pay you what as you want. As far as building out. You, you yeah, building this, building the studio. So. Yeah. so I started with him on uh, April 15th. And we started, you know, figuring out. You know, the console was still being built and all this. I started building the machine room and getting everything sort of ready and, uh, you know, doing all the wiring and testing yeah. all the gear and, you yeah. know, just kind of trying to build the studio. Yeah. And then not long afterwards, he bought an API console that had been uh, on the show at the AES floor. Mm -hmm. And um, five weeks later, we had built Studio B. And then that was my life for the next, yeah. you know, few years. Yeah. For the next couple of years. And while that was going on, also uh, engineered, did all the sort of everything but the tracking of this Martina McBride record. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was recording Martina a lot. And we did a lot of work together. A lot together. of her, vocal a lot of her vocals, yeah. uh, all the overdubs, like all the like mandolins, all oh, that, yeah. all that ancillary stuff that yeah. goes on. We did strings, you know, we did all that stuff. Yeah. Um, some of it I did myself. Some of it John did. Some of it with my help as sort of an yeah. engineer slash assistant, whatever you want to call it. You know, and then we mixed it. It was, you know, it was a lot of time. And, and there was a whole bunch of other things. I did a Keb Mo record. I did, mm -hmm. you know, did just, just all this in, stuff. In Blackbird? At Blackbird. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have an official capacity or title? I was the chief engineer. Yeah. For a long time, I was sort of the studio manager, yeah. traffic manager, right. chief engineer. Oof bottle washer you yeah. know and there was only like five of us there yeah yeah and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> eventually and at some yeah. point we you know we had to get other people but you know it went from being a one room three million dollar facility that that was his goal was a million and a half yeah it went from that <laughs> well, double, to being, always double the money and triple the time yeah <laughs> double the money at 10 percent. it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and we just you know kept getting more gear kept yeah. getting more stuff and and, uh, and then in 2005, you know, we brought we, we bought the build the space behind it, broke ground to, to build, yeah. or 2004, started building the building that has Studio C and Studio D. You know, it just it just kept getting bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger. And I mean, I did a lot of stuff. I did a thing with Willie Nelson and yeah. did a thing with Haggard. I did a bunch of kind of classic country things and um, yeah. some rock stuff. I did Secret Machines. Oh, yeah. Get a, a yeah. pair of singles for the Secret Machines, which is pretty cool. And But, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. It's like working in a big studio in Nashville, you know? Yeah. If people need somebody, they'll use you. Right, right. And you're there, and they know you, and they know you do a good job. But I wasn't trying to be an engineer. Right. I was just <laughs> because I didn't have time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I did. Wa I wanted to be doing records. Yeah. But it was always sort of a deal, like, well, once this place sort of sorts itself out. Yeah. And we stop building, then I can concentrate on that. We just never stopped building. Yeah. <laughs> what's What's the difference with Blackbird that you saw that brought people? In I there? think a couple of things. I think we we did everything in our power to make sure that it was the best, highest quality audio. Yeah. At all times, you could possibly have. Yeah. So, in effect, 
we weren't really trying to bring in the artist mm -hmm. as much as we're trying to make the engineer so comfortable that he couldn't <laughs> imagine going anywhere else. <laughs> you know, when 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 an engineer walks in, real <laughs> Yeah, when it, I mean it really is when the, when the engineer yeah. slash producer walks in, and he turns to you and says. You know what I, I I really this 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 thing right here what's whatever's going on yeah. it needs this thing yeah we would go okay yeah <laughs> because that was that was the mantra yeah you know if if someone wanted it that means someone else will want it absolutely so um you know that was the goal and and it really was a stupid field of dreams if you build it they'll come I mean yeah um the the thing is about the studio business is that it's one of two things. You either supply a service, and when I mean a service, I mean all of it, like like the sound of the room, the type of console, the microphones you have, yeah. the quality of the assistant engineer, you know, the quality of the front desk, yeah. snacks, yeah. food, drinks, yeah. all of those things. You supply that, yeah. okay, or you supply a room for a budget. You supply a room, a tape machine, whatever it is for yeah, budget. Right. So um, if you have an artist that has a $40,000 record budget so, right. and they want to act like rock stars for four days, yeah. five days, and then take the record to their house where they can <laughs> act like normal guys who have a gig at Starbucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They yeah. could come in and they could, you know, they would pay the day rate and they would work in the big studio mm -hmm. and when they left the audio the, the audio the sound of the record yeah. would be awesome right as long as they were awesome but you know yeah. i mean you know yeah, what i mean yeah. it is a you know it's a shit in shit out so yeah. <laughs> but uh but the thing was you know strangely enough i, I kind of think blackbird kind of harkens back to the old studio days in a way because yeah. you know bands that got to record were had to be good they were vetted out Right. They were vetted out by the financials of, of recording. Yeah. You yeah. know, if if you weren't good enough, if you weren't good enough for someone to want to spend money on you, you didn't record. Right. Now you don't have to be good. Yeah. You don't have to. You don't even have to know how to play. I mean, you know, you can get GarageBand and make some loops, you know, and and have piano parts and bass parts and and yeah. all of it playing along and you know. Is it your song? Well, I don't know if it's fucking your song or not. You you can <laughs> sing whatever you want over it and auto-tune the shit out of it yeah. and put it out. Yeah. And people can vet it out with their dollars. Right, right. That's, you know, it's kind of a simplified way. But back in the day, people listened and they went, mm, no, you guys aren't ready yeah. to record yeah. yet. Oh, and so Blackbird's kind of thing was there's a lot of bands that may not be ready to record here. Maybe they're ready to record you know, somewhere else. Yeah. Like my studio now. Yeah. <laughs> or something. I mean, that's kind of the deal. They're, they may right. not be ready to record a Blackbird yet. They may right. not be Kings of Leon. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. They may be, you know, another band that's on their way to being that. That's kind of the deal. And I, I think that was John's thing. You know, coming back from, I just came from a studio where, you know, I mean, if you wanted a Coke, you went out front and you bought it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's Black, what mine is. At, there's, at Black, no, there's no extra every, services. I'm everything at Blackbird you is know? free. Yeah, wow. Everything. You're not getting billed by the number of beers you nope. take out of the fridge. or Everything is free. So you're going to pay more for the whole experience? Mm -hmm. And pay more for the whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. If you want beer, we go get beer. Yeah. Beer's the actually, the, beer and liquor is the only thing we actually charge to the, to oh, the, yeah. to the deal. Yeah. Uh, and, and food orders, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, you order in. But yeah. um, I say we, I'm not really there, but yeah. Yeah, that's what they do. But Coke, sodas, drinks, orange yeah. juice, fruit, you know, all that sort of sort of stuff that would normally be a studio. Right. And it used to be like like tons of chocolate and M&Ms <laughs> and all that. And uh, that got the kibosh. Uh, Martinez kids were coming home from the studio like, you know, like um, 100 miles an hour because oh, yeah. they just ate four pounds of M&Ms, you yeah. know. So that got the kibosh, but um, fruit and granola bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that all that went away for carrots and things. But um, well, so you you were doing, you know, because I, I started noticing that too that you were doing a bunch of work with Jack and mm -hmm. and um, 
They're just if you really find yourself just gradually starting to gravi- gravitate towards getting out of out of black. Yeah, I mean, basically, what happened was, uh, um, well, the well, the white stripes were doing Icky Thump with uh, um, Joe. With mm-hmm. Joe, yeah. yep, Joe was over there doing Icky Thump, and um, I w- actually kept running into Jack in the hallway. Yeah, and uh, and the reason being is that while Icky Thump was being done, George Massenberg and I were doing a bunch of work in his studio mm-hmm. in studio C it's not really his but in, in yeah. studio C to get it up and running <laughs> so so they were working in studio D C is just right across the hall from it and they yeah. share a hallway between the two machine rooms right so I was always out in the machine room either wiring <laughs> or doing something for studio C and Jack would come through and, and he would he I think at first he was wondering what the heck I was always doing out was I watching the session or was oh, I right, lurking? Right. He's like, so, uh, you know, you're out here all the time, uh, you know. I mean, I'll put this in, but like, uh, yeah. what are you doing out here? Yeah. Can you do it somewhere else? I was like, well, <laughs> actually, no, I can't do it anywhere else. Uh, but, and, and I said, I said, well, I'm sorry, you, you know, am I, if I'm bothering you, I'll put a, I'll, I'll block off that window. Yeah, yeah. window. He goes, oh, no, no, you're not bothering me. I just, just wondered. I go, well, I'm, you know, I'm happy to do it. I go, but yeah. unfortunately, this Working right here, this is where this has to be. And yeah, yeah. I was like, what is all this? You know, it's all digital, digital yeah. shit. And so I kind of told him, he's like, oh, okay, well, do you guys have spring reverb? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, we do. I mean, like a like a BX20 or a BX10. I, go, I think we've got a BX10. Yeah. I go, I've got this great Alamo spring reverb. He goes, oh, I love those. Yeah. I go, you want to, you want to try it out? I'll go get it for you. He goes, well, well, you don't have to get it. I go, no, it's a big deal. It's right on the street, you know. Yeah, that one. I saw I go, that I'll guy. just go get it. You know, it's not a big deal. It's like, well, okay. So I go and get it, and I bring it to him. You know. Yeah. And uh, they ended up using it quite a bunch. On the yeah, record. good. Uh, and then I loaned him something else. I can't remember what it was. So that I sort of started to have this sort of yeah. conversation with him. And I was the guy. I gave him and Patrick the first tour of the place. Right. So we had kind of talked a little. Yeah. But really, just a little. You know, and then there was a couple of times where Joe needed me to come in and do some synchronization trickery. Yeah, where they had made an edit to the master and now had to put time code on the master, so they had yeah. to jam code over in a punch right. in and all right. that. So that's stuffs. You know, I mean, yeah. that's the trickery that. Oh yeah. I think Joe is sort of like, you can do that. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I'm in there punching in time code on their tape. You know. <laughs> It was, that was Tricky. fun. Little yeah. jam sync, punch in, punch out. So one day I was over here working, and they forwarded a call from Jack to me, and I said, "Hey, yes, Jack, I'm wondering if, um, if you could do a session with me with Danger Mouse." Oh yeah. I was like, "Yeah, man, that'd be great." So we talk, and right at the end of that conversation, I said, "So Jack, I, I got this question. I go, what do I call it?" <laughs> and he goes, what? I go, what do I call him? I go, yes, I mean, Danger Mouse. I mean, do I just call yeah. him Danger Mouse? He goes, oh, no, no, his name's Brian, you know. Yeah. Brian. <laughs> okay, cool, that's great. We really hit it off. Yeah. Just, just, you know, I gave him some toys and tools yeah. that he could use in the tracking because he was just doing vocals. Yeah. Um, you know, I brought a Space Echo and a CB mic, and I brought some things, an amp behind him, a chamber, yeah. and all these things that he could sort of try out. Yeah. And I could go real fast and and let him sort of find the sound of what he wanted. Right. And so we hit it off pretty well. Then he called me to do the Spanish language version of Conquest. <laughs> uh, which was fun. And and that actually had an interesting little problem with it. Uh, Joe had made an edit on the master yeah. after they'd put the slave away. Oh. And uh, so it wouldn't sync up. So now I had to make a new master. So so when Jack came, I said, well, there's this little problem. Let me show you. And I go, it's kind of cool sounding, but basically it's a half second off. Now, if I yeah. start it in the middle of the tape or anything after the intro, it's fine. I go, but we couldn't mix it this way. Right, right. And, and he goes, well, that's pretty cool sounding. I go, yeah, it's kind of you know south of the border because yeah, yeah. the horns went da 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 da. They were a half second off. Right, right. And da 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 da. You know. Right. He goes, well, just remember that. I go, okay, yeah, it's cool. I remember that. Yeah. And so we'll do this. So we, I made a copy of it and we we did it, did the tracks. So then when we mixed it, he was like, I think we should just have fun with this. 
Because yeah. I was like, do you want me just to bring up the the, the instrumental? Because there's an right. instrumental. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, um, he's like, no, no, no. Let's just remix it. Let's have fun with it. Yeah. So we spent an hour and a half remixed it. Yeah. Him, just him and I, and then we sent it off, and you know, two or three weeks goes by, and I remember this uh, real, like, real distinctly. Yeah. The twentieth, like the twenty first, twenty second, somewhere right before Christmas, and I was walking out of Studio C. I had been doing something with George. I remember what it was, and Jack called my phone. And I said, like, hey, man, he goes, hey, I got the mastering back from Conquest, man. It's really, really great. He goes, are you busy in February? I go, mm, not right now. He goes, I'd like you to mix the Raconteur's record. And I went, uh, yeah, I'm definitely not busy. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. And I remember, like, I go, he goes, well, great, man. He goes, oh, we're going to be in there recording most of January. We should start about the first of February. Okay. That'd be great. And, you know... I hung up and I remember just sitting there for a second and thinking, did that just really happen? Yeah. <laughs> you know? You go from being the, the guy like, why are you in the machine room? Why am I in the machine room <laughs> to you're mixing our record? And yeah. and uh, and so I uh, I showed up. You know, I mean, Joe, Joe was there working. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know the... I mean, I do yeah. know some of what was going on but you know I think the thing was they had already made a decision they wanted somebody else mix it yeah and um, and for whatever reason yeah you know I know I mean? we, there's a lot of times that we don't get the whole story yeah at different stages I, of making I, records I, I kind of know some yeah. of it but but uh, yeah to be honest with you I think it was because they decided to use somebody else and that guy didn't want Jack there to mix it like a mixer guy and didn't want Jack around. Yeah. And there's absolutely no way. I don't. There's absolutely no way. I don't think that'd that, work. Yeah. He is the, he's yeah. the other mixer. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he's right up in there with me. I mixed Consolers of the Lonely so, in seven days. Perfect. You know, 15 songs, seven <laughs> yeah. days. Then we did about five days of recalls, fixes, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, mastering mock-up. We yeah. we had a day where we played it for the label. Yeah. I mean, just just kind of that stuff. It, it, the whole thing took about fourteen days to get. Yeah. It. But basically, I mixed the whole record in seven. That's great. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm just doing roughs. They're going to send this to somebody else. <laughs> you know, like, they're going to send this to somebody else. But the thing was, is that Jack would go out and he would get in his car and he and he liked it. Right. So you know, when I listen to it now, do I think it's this perfect thing? I really just knocked the ball out of the park. Yeah. You know what? I didn't do. I didn't do it the way Joe would have done it. Yeah. But two years later, you know, or whatever, yeah. I hear the mistakes, but no one else does. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. obviously somebody liked it. So yeah. That's so that awesome. was the deal. And then and then from there, it just it just we went from the Rock and Tours record yeah. into uh, uh, we did the Bond theme. And right. then we did uh, uh, the White Stripes movie. Mm -hmm. And then right about that time is when uh, Third Man had just started to get built. Yeah. Well, actually, Third Man was already built when we started doing the White Stripes movie. But it went from... Uh, and then we just started doing Karen's record. Right. And then um, the Dead Weather record just sort of... Fell into place. Came out yeah. of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, just fucking came out of nowhere. But uh, so yeah, they put. Well, you helped them pick stuff out for the studio. The, I I helped. I came studio. in. I came in. Like the console had already. Joe Chigarelli found in the console. Yeah. And he had found the tape, the first tape machine. Right. First Studer. Yeah. I came in, right at, and he bought the Fairchild, which he bought from McBride. He bought from oh, Blackbird. Yeah. Uh, and we put it in a big box. Yeah. It said Jack's first Fairchild on it, on the side, <laughs> with a bow. His firstborn. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, but uh, I was there. I mean, I I literally like unpacked the raconteurs recording thing from Brendan's house. Right. That Jack and that they bought for rehearsal a bunch of hose cables, mic cables and shit, yeah. and fucked up mic stands. And uh, the tape machine was there. My friend Mike Rhodes, who has a studio or has a business here in town called Skinny Fish Studio Services. He's a wiring guy. Yeah. It's not Michael Rhodes, the bass player, but Mike yeah. Rhodes, Michael yeah, yeah. Rhodes, the, the wiring guy. He had wired it yeah. and, and he had, he had smartly like talked Jack into like, yeah, 
you want more than eight mic mic lines. Oh yeah. You know, like like because cool. he really wanted it really small, and he, yeah. so he had smartly talked him into like building a little bigger. Yeah, that's which good. was good. He's and um, and I went over there the day the console came in and was turned on, and yeah. we hooked it up to the Studer, and about four days later, we did that session with Keith Richards. And that's just still kind of. Uh, it's nothing. Yeah. Nothing. It it's, never. It it sort of never happened. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was just they just came and played. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it was actually reported strangely enough in the news here. Yeah. Because the tac the cab not the cab but the car driver right called the oh the guy God. who drove him to the house called the newspaper because none of us I mean it was super oh, secret that's bizarre yeah that's but like crazy. it was in the news the next day we were like fuck yeah what can you do yeah so. But yeah, it was just nothing. They yeah. were just, they were just sort of, to be honest with you, they Hanging just out. jammed. Yeah, yeah. They jammed and hung out. Oh, totally. You know, yeah. pretty cool. We were sitting around the fire pit, and Jack had his guitar, which was tuned in open G. And I picked it up and kind of plucked a couple of notes and then realized I was playing the beginning of Honky Tonk Woman. <laughs> and Keith Richards is sitting right next to me. Yeah. And I just went, I yeah. looked at Jack and went, bah, bah, I went, fuck this. And I just put it down like, <laughs> like I go, like he's looking at me and it's Keith over here uh, smoking and, and I go <laughs> Jack's like whoops it's in the air <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's really it's really neat I mean it's just like an organic kind of you getting involved with this it just seemed to kind of just kept flowing along like well, I, I, based on interactions and yeah I mean I think, I think we kind of get along we get along pretty well together you know he's a funny guy and yeah. we we you know I mean, you know, I, I can't, I mean, I can't speak for him, but I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I really like him. He's great. Yeah. He's been, he's, he's been, he's been great to, uh, he's been great to work with and, you know, I mean. You've gotten a lot of other gigs now based on your, your work that they, people a, have seen. A little. With this stuff. Yeah. I'll tell you what's funny. I didn't yeah. get any work whatsoever because I won a Grammy. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I got more, I got more work because people like the Dead Weather record. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I think what happens is, and especially in a music town like Nashville, is um, you're you're sort of you're sort of no one until you're suddenly somebody. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm not a hipster. I don't. I, I mean, I'm 46 years old. Yeah. I don't. I don't go and hang out at clubs downtown and watch bands or know anything about bands or 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 attest to that scene i don't yeah I, I'm, I'm not that that's just not me yeah yeah um what ends up happening is somebody will say hey i heard this record i really like it you know who the fuck did it right they'll find my name they'll google me online they get my incredible interactive website <laughs> multimedia and, uh, content my multimedia all my multimedia content <laughs> And then somebody will call me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the thing is, I always have my phone. I always answer emails. Yeah. You know, I, I it just if somebody calls me about a gig, I will call them back. Yeah. Is... I, I think that what happens is I think you get to a certain point in this business and people just suddenly think that you are, um, you know, uh, an L.A. cat or you're, you're uh, unapproachable right. about their um, low-budget gig. Yeah. You know, and it's like the reality is, is that I can make a pretty good living yeah. doing three or four low budget records a month. Right. I'm not trying to drive a Maserati. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not booking uh, Ocean Way for five years. Right, right. I have this room. Yeah. And I have the gear that I have that's spread out in this building. Right. And I have all this and this is all paid for. I am not complicated. You know, I I don't like building nine million fucking tracks or mixing nine million tracks. Yeah, I'll yeah. just turn shit off. Yeah. I mean, if I get a record that has a drum, has has drums, yeah, and has eight tracks of loops, I am fucking turning half of that shit off. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, unless it's absolutely critical to the song, what the fuck is all that doing in there? Yeah. You know, or why is why does the band need twenty five tracks of guitars? Well, they don't. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It's, it, all Most they're doing is making it really small. Yeah, oh, and sometimes, yeah. you know, the thing is for me is like I like it when there's you know two or three instruments. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and then suddenly you've got all this space oh, yeah. that you can fill. I mean, you can you can make guitars really fucking loud and yeah. drums really fucking loud yeah. and the bass really fucking loud and all of it really loud and in your face because there's not 55 right. tracks of other bullshit. When you work with someone like Jack who's producing something, you know, there's a definite push to make it have something. Mm -hmm. Give it some grit. Give it some sonic. It's got to be. It's got to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like I mean the thing that I feel sometimes is people are, or there's a process that people will let be mm -hmm. in place that can certainly suck the interesting mm -hmm. out of it. But Jack, he'll say, he'll come in and he'll say, "Man, that sounds great." Or I mean, I really wish we could get. It. I really wish the piano would cut more. Yeah. I really wish the piano didn't cut more. Right. That's usually what it comes down to. Because I'm always like trying to make it sound like you know uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and uh, get a little edge. In yeah, there, like you know, I, I'm more of the trying yeah. to make it sound like you know Great Balls of Fire. And, yeah. And um, uh, but I mean, yeah, it doesn't always work for everything. Yeah. You know? But I mean, that's like. Like, I think everybody has your first inclination. Like, okay, we're doing a rock record uh, with this piano. Yeah. It's going to be Jerry Lewis. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's my first thing, you know. Yeah, that's uh, beat, uh, you know, okay, uh, here's a two-guitar, two-guitar bass and drums band. What do the drums sound like? Well, I think they're going to either be Ringo or something, yeah. you know. Or, you know <laughs> or what I mean? Watts. Or, or, yeah, Charlie Watts. The, okay, so this band is drums, bass, guitar, and the drummer has a huge drum set. Uh, Keith. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, that's like with Jack. It's like I just sort of like, yeah. okay, you know, how would how would this get recorded? You know, I mean, how would I, how do I capture that vibe in this space? I mean, you yeah. saw the space; it's not big. Yeah. So I mean, there's no room to it. Yeah. And everybody's recording in one room. Right. So I mean, there's amp on there's guitars on drums, and there's yeah. the bass is on the drums, and the drums are on the bass, and yeah, and the drums are on the guitar a little bit because there is the back of the mic and. And if it's a dead weather, she's out in the middle of the room singing yeah. through a seventy-seven, yeah. and uh, and that you know, and this crazy Ampex mic through yeah. an amp. Yeah. So I mean, all those things are sounds that yeah. create the vibe of it. Well, um, the Wanda Jackson stuff you put in sounds great, but the, my first impression was like, does somebody at a record label, well, a standard record label, wouldn't like it, like mm -hmm. a major label, you know? Mm -hmm. Somebody, if, if someone said like. Oh, good. We got a new record from her. They'd go, yuck, what's this? Which to me, I heard it and I go, I can't believe she made a record this cool yeah. at this stage in the game. Yeah, she's 72, you know? you know? Right. You know, it's awesome. That sounds like, that's a, that sounds like, a, it sounds like a record I would buy, you know, from way back. Mm -hmm. You know, like, hey, I found a seven inch. Yeah. You know, I, I, well, I think that's, that's awesome. And I think like, there's a, I, I think we're not trying to reinvent the wheel with yeah, her. Right. Uh, you know, uh, so uh, we, fun, I say we. I don't think yeah. Jack, Jack, or yeah. anybody is trying to. Yeah. I don't think anyone is trying to reinvent the week. Right. You know, uh, we had a band together, and we had horns yeah. and steel and two bass players and electric <laughs> guitar and piano yeah. and acoustic guitar, and and drums. You know, yeah. drums, two bass players. Yeah. Uh, you know, two bass players, a guitar player, a steel guitar player, acoustic guitar yeah. player. A horn section yeah. and a keyboardist, yeah. and and you know we've got to get that into seven tracks. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and pretty amazing. Uh, some of Wanda's stuff we we split out. We we did a slave reel and did, you know, we did uh, another eight track uh, locked up. Yeah. to do some vocal passes, to do some vocal takes. Oh, cool. And um, and then basically just kind of comped them together, you know, punched them together. Yeah. But, um, and then did some background vocals and that stuff ended up being, you know, I can't say that any of that record is 16 track. Right. It is 16 track, but it's all really about 10 tracks. Yeah, right. I'll say that definitely there was a full band playing live yeah. in the room. Yeah. And if there was, uh, if we did two takes of it, you know, if the chorus from the second take yeah. was the take we cut the chorus into the master yeah, yeah. you know uh we we don't I, I don't i'm not afraid to cut tape yeah, yeah uh even though it is a little frightening at seven and a half <laughs> the, the great thing about working with jack is that he's pretty fearless yeah like um and amazingly tolerant of mistakes because mm -hmm. he doesn't have he should he, sh he really shouldn't have to <laughs> I mean, I mean, at the level that we're at, and at at, yeah. at the number, the length of time I've been doing this, yeah. um, you know, he shouldn't have to be tolerant of mistakes. He, yeah. you know, he he should be able, he should feel like he can get pissed that I fucked something up. Yeah, but yeah. he never does. 
I mean, if there's ever a fucked up punch in or something, he's just like, yeah, man, no problem. We'll just do it again. It'll be better anyway. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, there, there's a, there's a fucked up punch in I did on the dead weather record. And he allows those things. He allows musicians to, you know, make mistakes that end up being cool. And, yeah. You know, so I can't talk about his production style right, that much because right. it's his, but, but I can tell you that making records with him is very yeah. enjoyable. Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. <laughs>